You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, But let's jump into our story. We covered last week the first couple of chapters of this book in Hosea. Uh, Hosea was a prophet uh, sent to the northern kingdom of Israel. If you weren't with us yesterday, the nation Israel divided after King David when the nation was the most powerful nation on the earth. All the nations of the earth were governed by Israel at 1000 BC when David was king. Uh, But now a few hundred years have gone by from that time. The date of the book of Hosea is 750 B.C. to 710 B.C. So we're a few hundred years past the time of David. And now Israel has divided in two. Uh, The nation divided into ten tribes to the north, and they're called the northern kingdom, or they're called Israel. Two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, they're called the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had grown corrupt. They had 19 kings in total in the northern kingdom over their entire history, all of them wicked kings. There was one who was so-so, all of them wicked kings. The southern kingdom had some good kings, some bad kings, uh, but the nation was falling away from God. And God uh, calls his prophet named Hosea. And he says, hey, I want you to minister to the northern kingdom. Again, the time period about 700 BC. Isaiah is ministering. He's a contemporary of Hosea. God called Hosea to preach to the northern kingdom and Hosea to preach to the southern kingdom. It's all happening at the same time. So the book of Isaiah is parallel to the book of Hosea. Hosea had an incredibly difficult ministry. Do you know why? Because God's people did not know God. And that's a problem. Uh, God's people did not know God. They were seduced by all the worldly ideologies and all the sexual sins, the sexual passions, the lust of the flesh, and they were controlling their life. Uh, We live in a day today where aberrant ideologies are accepted as normal, as are accepted as right, are accepted as truth. And uh, the world is starting to have a hard time discerning between what is right and wrong. Not starting to. I mean, we are like way, way deep into not being able to figure out we're walking in darkness, right? Uh, uh, That which is evil is called good. And that which is good is called evil. And that which is light is called darkness. And light, we've lost our way. Well, that was the same thing that was happening at this time in Israel's history, the northern kingdom. There was corruption. God's people did not know God. And they were worshiping uh, the gods of the age. Uh, they were called Molech and Ashtoreth and, and these various gods. I won't go into them all. We covered them last week. But essentially, there were three things they were worshiping. They were worshiping power, they were worshiping money, and they were worshiping sexuality. Uh, 
I know that doesn't sound familiar, but imagine that. Uh, and those things were controlling the actions of the people. And they would go up on these high places, and we looked last week, and they would wor worship Ashereth. She was the goddess of fertility. And they would have Ashereth poles, and they would dance at these poles and have fertility rites. And, and you get the idea what was happening around these Ashereth poles, right? Uh, corruption, immorality, and uh, God's people did not know God. And so God does something astonishing. He calls his prophet Hosea, and he tells him to marry a harlot. And we read that last week, and we're like, gasp, right? Like, what the heck? An immoral, unfaithful woman who was sleeping around with countless men. And God is painting a picture. This story is a simile, and it reveals how Israel was treating their God. How they were uh, going a-whoring after all these false ideologies that were ruining their lives. And I've titled the message today, God's Harlot Bride. God calls Hosea because he wants them, he wants to reveal to his people uh, their spiritual adultery. And this story is an amazing love story of God's unwavering love for his people who are cheating on him, who are unfaithful. And it reveals God's magnificent, unwavering love. It also reveals, we looked last week, at an uh, uh, attribute of God that we might not think of. It reveals God's broken heart. As his people are callous to his amazing love for them. And they think they're just going off and doing their things and they don't even realize they're breaking the heart of God. Do you realize that God created you for himself? And that he wants to have an intimate relationship with you? And when we go after all our worldly pursuits and we never make time for God, God says, you're cheating on me. You're an unfaithful lover, and he is trying to draw his people back to himself. God is telling a story, by the way, we're going to find out today. God is telling a story that has near and far application. God is going to speak prophetically through Hosea to the nation Israel. And it's a story about Israel's relationship with God right now in the present uh, at 700 B.C., but it's also a story into the distant future that covers all the way until the time when Jesus will return. And so we're going to look at some prophecies today that are marvelous as we look at this amazing movie that God is writing of this romance between God and Israel that covers a span of 2,700 years. Remarkable, just remarkable. So Hosea, he marries this, this harlot bride, and it's a picture of God's harlot bride, and together they have a son, and God says, hey, Hosea, I want you to call the name of that son Jezreel, name him Jezreel, and uh, that doesn't mean anything to us, but in Hebrew, Jezreel was two words put together, uh, Jezre means scatter, and El is God, so Jezreel is God will scatter, 
And God was prophetically speaking to the nation Israel saying, I'm going to take you out of your homeland and I'm going to scatter you all over the earth. And we looked last week, we saw that uh, the Assyrian king comes in, 722 BC, King Sargon II of Assyria comes in and takes the northern kingdom captive. And uh, Hosea was the name of the king, the, the 19th king of the northern kingdom, uh, takes him captive and uh, Israel loses their homeland, right? And they go captive into Assyria. Uh, so uh, that's why he had him name his son Jezreel. So together they have a son, and now there's a problem. Hosea's wife, Gomer, uh, she can't stay faithful. She can't stay home. And so she goes out running again, and now she has children with other men. And uh, this uh, first child she has with another man, uh, God says, hey, call, call her name uh, Lo-Rumaha, for I will not have mercy on my people. Ruhama means mercy. Lo Ruhama means no mercy. And God says, listen, I've been incredibly merciful to you, but my mercy is actually hurting you now. There comes a time when if we do not receive God's mercy properly to lead us to repentance, that that kindness is actually now working against us. And God says, I'm going to pull back my mercy from your life. Wow, tough names for kids, right? She has another child, and God says, name his name, Lo-Amai. Amai Uh, means my people. Lo-Amai means not my people. So we have a prophetic message through the names of these kids. God's going to scatter you. God's going to pull his mercy back from you. And God's going to say, you're no longer my people. Wow. When God says you're not my people, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, right? May that never happen to us. Uh, so that's the, what we covered uh, last week, and that's where we are as we jump into chapter 3. Remarkably, uh, as we open up to chapter 3, remarkably, Hosea tries to make this marriage work. He's there loving her and raising kids that aren't his And even though he's doing all this, guess what his wife goes off doing? He's raising kids that aren't his, as well as his kids. And guess where she goes? She goes off running again. And she starts sleeping around. And she goes from instead of just sleeping around, she turns to full-out prostitution. The prophet's wife. And you can imagine the mockery that Hosea was getting as his wife. There's this godly guy and his wife going out a whoring after all her different lovers. Uh, And that's where we pick up in chapter three. Um, Let's pray as we open the Bible. Jesus, we come before you. We are in awe of these stories that you paint in history. These historical accounts of your pursuing love of your people and your wayward bride who just uh, tends to love everything but you. Lord, help us to see all that is written in your word. Help us to see your love, your grace, and your mercy, and your profound calling on our life that we might draw close to you, Lord, as a chaste bride set apart for her husband. 
Lord, help us to understand the intimacy you want with us. Speak to us now personally. Allow your spirit to come upon us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So Jose is at home. He's raising the kids. His wife is gone. And God speaks to him. Chapter 3. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. You might want to circle the word is. That is present tense. Right now, Hosea, she is cheating on you. She's sleeping with another man right now. I want you to go love her. And underline this, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. Wow. Who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. And you say, what in the heck does raisin cakes have to do with anything? Uh, I had some raisin toast this morning. Is that a bad thing? Uh, no, not a bad thing. But raisin cakes in that day uh, were believed to be an aphrodisiac. And they would use these raisin cakes as they would worship these god, gods and goddesses of sexuality. And uh, God is saying, She's my, my, my bride Israel is sleeping around with all these other gods and loving her raisin cakes, speaking to their sexual promiscuity, just like your wife is, Hosea. And I want you to go and find her. And I want you to go and love her. Hosea, I want you to go and love your cheating wife just like I love my cheating wife. And by the way, Hosea, she's cheating on you right now as we speak. Just like my wife is cheating on me. Wow. Do you know when you go after other loves, God looks at that as you spiritual adultery when you go after fake religion God looks at that as spiritual adultery people came to Jesus one day and they you know they said show us some miracles show us some signs we want to see some signs and wonders and you know what Jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after signs you want, a, you want a spiritual experience. You want a miracle that you're sleeping with a different God, Jesus would say. That's not me. Now, Jesus does miracles, but not for your entertainment. Not so you can go, ooh, wow, that was cool. We'll come back next Sunday and see what you do. And, and no, 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 no. We don't come here for those things. We come here to know God. We worship because we realize of his great love for us and we want to be in a relationship with him. And anything else, any other kind of worship, Jesus would call it spiritual adultery. And Israel, they still believed in God and yet they were doing all these other chasing money, chasing sex, chasing all their materialism. And, and he says, hey, I want you to go love your cheating wife just like I love my cheating wife. Can you imagine how hard that would be for Hosea? God is showing us what we do as humans to God as we go worshiping all these other things. Uh, it's sick. Uh, uh, and God... Uh, 
God calls it spiritual adultery. Now, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, and you stumble into sin, and you struggle, I want you to know God does not call it spiritual adultery when his people stumble into sin. We all stumble into sin. Uh, God calls it spiritual adultery when we practice sin. And there's a big difference. This was an ongoing behavior of God's people, Israel. And there was no repentance in their heart. When we fall into sin, if we belong to Jesus, do you know what we will do? If we stumble into sin, do you know what we will do? We will repent quickly. We will repent immediately and sincerely and we'll say, Lord, please forgive me. I have fallen into sin again. And Lord, I I hate this about myself. I don't want to do this. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy and for dying on the cross in my place that when I stumble and fall, I have your righteousness given to me as a free gift. And you know what that does? That makes us even more in love with him. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. His mercies are new every morning. It is so rewarding, so refreshing to wake up and say, Lord, thank you so much that I am perfectly righteous today on this brand new day. And Lord, I confess my sins to you of yesterday and now today, Lord, I want to walk with you. Lord, help me to serve you well today. I've got a meeting at at 8 o'clock. In that meeting, Lord, help me to be selfless. Help me to build others. Help me to reveal your character traits in my life. Oh man, now you are walking with Jesus. And then this evening, uh, I'm going to be meeting with my daughter. I'm going to be meeting with my son. I'm going to be meeting with a friend. They're hurting right now. They've got this going. Lord, help me to show the, the wisdom of your truth, the wisdom of your word. Help me to have discernment, to know how to guide them, and to show them the path of life that you have brought me to. For Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your at your side are pleasures forevermore. And Lord, I want this person to be able to experience that. That's what it means to be in a marriage, in a relationship with your creator. Yes, we sin. Yes, we make up, but we mess up. But his mercies are new every morning. Uh, Here's a verse that just illustrates this really well. Psalm 34. Uh, Let me hear you read this in a good, loud, unified church voice. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as who have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let's pause there a second. As the bride of Christ, as children of God, as those who are in a relationship with Jesus, it's not that we don't have afflictions. It's not that we don't stumble. It's not that we don't uh, uh, lose our temper or make a mistake or get tempted or, or just go through tough trials sometimes. We do. But we repent. And we turn to the Lord and we bring our hearts to him. And look what he says. I put it in bold for you. The Lord delivers him out of them all. We don't stay in our sin. We get delivered out of our sin and restored back to the righteous path. That is the work of Jesus in our life. And if that is not happening in your life, you are not in Christ. 
The Bible says, uh, uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of them all. And look at this. He, God, guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. What does that mean? The righteous will never be cast down completely. They will never be lamed where they can't get back on the right path again. God will guard you and make sure that you can stand on the solid foundation that he has built for you, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the the, the good path that he would have you walk on. Uh, Look at the rest of the verse. But evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Uh, Big difference. If you don't love righteousness, you will be condemned. But if you love righteousness, the Lord redeems all of his servants. And none of those who trust in him will ever be condemned. This is the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. This is his marvelous work in, in our lives. And I tell you what, it is so rewarding to have a lover of your soul who is merciful and gracious and pointing you to a path that brings abundant fruit and abundant life into your life. This was God's will for his people, and yet Israel was going uh, off and astray. They were not stumbling in sin. They were regularly practicing sin. And do you know what God does? He calls Hosea to marry this harlot because God wants them to see themselves as they really are. Do you know that strangely enough, seeing ourselves as we really are is difficult for us. We all have a persona that we think we are and that's not who we are. And God isn't interested in who you think you are. God is interested in who you really are. Here's what I know about yourself. You think you're a pretty good person. And God wants you to know who you really are. And the closer you get to him, the more aware of your sin you become. And the closer you get to him, the more you realize, oh my goodness, Lord, there's none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's by your grace and by your mercy that we are redeemed and that we are called to swim to higher waters. And it is your, your righteousness and your righteousness alone that can enable us to walk with you. And our lives are transformed by the love and the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is his will for us. Uh, uh, God wants us to see ourselves for who we really are. Israel wouldn't do that. By the way, James would say in his word, your word is a mirror. And it reveals who we really are. James would say, no man looks into a mirror and sees a big dirty spot on his face and then walks away without washing it off, right? No, 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 you come to the mirror and you go, oh man, you need some help. Uh, The older I get, the worse it gets, by the way, every time I look in the mirror. But the mirror of God's word is to do the same thing. It's to show us 
where we sin and where we fall short so that we can be cleansed and be, uh, uh, change our direction and walk with the Lord. God wants to see them for what they really are. And he says, hey, look, Hosea, I want you to marry an adulterous wife because I need to get through to Israel. They cannot see. They think they're amazing. Uh, so he has Hosea marry this harlot. And he tells him to go love her. Uh, uh, verse 1 is graphic. Uh, it's even more graphic in the message paraphrase. I don't recommend studying out of the message, but I want, I want to show you verse 1 of chapter 3 that we just read. I want to show it to you in the message in this paraphrase because I think it really captures the essence of, uh, uh, of what God is saying there. Read with me in a, in a loud voice. Then God ordered me, start all over. Love your wife again, your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend. Your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. Wow. That is graphic, is it not? And God is trying to get through to a hard-hearted people who would not hear his voice. He's trying to show them who they really are. So Hosea does. He goes looking for his filthy wife. He goes looking for his cheating wife. He's been there raising the kids. She's out, been gone for months, and he goes out looking for her. And guess where he finds her when he finally finds her? He finds her on the auction block. She's owned by a pimp. And he is selling her on the auction block, the property of a pimp, Hosea's wife. Look at verse 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one half homers of barley. Can you imagine? Can you believe this? This is the prophet's wife. And here we see Hosea. You can, uh, Hosea's wife. You can almost close your eyes and imagine what this looks like. He buys her for 15 shekels of silver. The price of a slave was 30 shekels of silver. She's half price of a slave. Close your eyes. You can almost see her getting auctioned off on the slave block. A dirty, skanky, unkept woman. Barely clothed, scantily clothed harlot. She's filthy and she's vile. No doubt she's become hardened and crass from all the sin and the abuse she's experienced. And her heart is deeply scarred. And there she is on the auction block. And they can't even get the price of a slave for her. And here I want you to know, through Hosea's wife, we see a clear reminder of what sin does to us. Sin destroys lives. It reduces us to nothing. It leaves us broken and depressed and diseased and hurting and empty inside. That was Hosea's wife. And she is a picture 
of God's wife. You know, you see a drug addict or you see a person who's, uh, you know, uh, really gone through alcoholism or some various sin and, and you see the toil it takes on their life. You see a man who cheated on his wife and lost his family and lost his children and is now living as a bachelor and not with his kids and it just, it reduces us to nothing. Sin destroys life. This woman who was once incredibly beautiful, this woman who was once attractive and desired by many men, now because of sins, she is damaged good, damaged goods. And remarkably, no one will buy her. I mean, uh, the price keeps getting lower and lower. No one will buy her. And remarkably, Hosea is seeking and searching the world for her. And he's the only person on earth that cares about her. And he's been looking all over and he sees her from afar off and he's like, oh no, please tell me no. Please tell me that's not her. And with each step, he gets closer and he goes, oh, I think it's her. I think, and there she is on the auction block. Guys jeering, guys mocking, and nobody wanting her. And Hosea would come in, tears streaming down his face. I'll buy her. I want her. I am her husband. I love her. She is valuable to me. And he buys her for himself. Wow. What a picture. What a picture. This story in Hosea is a picture of God's uncaused, God's relentless love for us. I want you to remember, I want you to know, God wants to save us from the destruction that sin brings. From the ruined lives that sin ruins, God wants to save us from all of that. And you look at some people, you know, it's, we're becoming callous to it, aren't we? We can see people laying on sidewalks and drive by as if they're not even human. And we see what it has done to their life, what sin has done to their life. Others are just as empty living in their Rancho Santa Fe homes as those that are lying on the street. It's just not as obvious. Sin produces a brokenness inside that is crippling. Sin produces an arrogance and a pride and a boasting and addictions that are crippling. And people are living lives in quiet despair. And there it is God who comes along and says, I made you for more than this. I want to redeem you to myself. I want to save you. It is a tragic thing to lose and waste your life. Again, we see these that are, you know, laying on the streets. We think, how could it be? We look at these who lose their way and they can't discern right from wrong, a boy from a girl. We are now doing insane things like mutilating children 
and putting bills before California saying, if you're a parent that won't go along with mutilating your 12-year-old, the state will take your child. And we have lost our way and we can't tell up from down and good from bad and we are calling bitter sweet and sweet bitter and, and perverse good and, and good perverse. And we have lost our way. We are broken. We are empty and we are despairing. And I want you to know it is one thing to ruin your life on this earth, but this life on this earth is just a blip in the scheme of eternity. The Bible says three score and 10 years a man may get. 70 years is what that means. 80 if you're lucky. 90 if you're incredibly blessed. 100 if you're incredible genes. But even if you live 100 years, do you know what that is in the scheme of eternity? And can you imagine being eternally separated from the only God who loves you? from the only lover of your soul. Any love that you receive on this earth is only a reflection of his love, even in its perverse form. It's still a reflection of his love. I want you to know Adolf Hitler, as cruel as he was, when he walked into Starbucks, the girl behind the counter still said, hey, how are you today? You know what that was? That was the love of God being revealed in the world. But when you get eternally separated from God you are completely removed from all the love of God forever. It is spiritual death. And this is why Jesus would warn us so much. There is nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternal darkness. Vehement flame. Total emptiness where the worm never dies. This is what God is trying to save us from. You were made for so much more. And if you are here today like Hosea and you are going, oh my gosh, I am in a horrible spot. If you are feeling like your life is so messed up, if you are feeling worthless, I want you to know you are of great worth to God. And God has proven that. By becoming a man, leaving the glory and the splendor of heaven, emptying himself of all his riches and glory, and becoming a poor servant human who would show his love for you by going to the cross to take the punishment of all your harlotries upon his own back so that you could be presented to himself as a righteous, holy, sinless bride without spot or blemish, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is amazing love. And you are loved by your husband, your God, that way. I want you to know your life is not worthless. And you are not too messed up for God. You are of great worth to God and he's seeking you now. And if you are hurting this morning and you came in just by chance, welcome to the power of Jesus Christ. That is his calling on your life. Let me show you what God would say about this. This is Isaiah chapter one. 
This is God's words to us. Now remember, Isaiah, written at the same time as this book of Hosea, God speaking to the southern kingdom through Hosea, God speaking to the northern kingdom, excuse me, the northern kingdom through Hosea, the southern kingdom through Isaiah. At the same time, God would be speaking this. Read it with me. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet. Let's stop there. I'm going to be graphic for a moment. Though your sins are like scarlet, you cheating whore who has been cheating on your God who loves you and going after everything else in the world. You've tried drugs, you've tried sex, you've tried materialism, you've tried pride, you've tried uh, elevating yourself and proving to everybody how amazing you are. And God says, you've been cheating on me the whole time. Come, let us think about this. Let's reason together. And even though your sins are like scarlet, even though you are as sinful as can be, look what he says. They shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are simply willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. If you're simply willing to come to me and learn how to walk in my ways, if you're still simply willing to come to me and say, Lord, I, I, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. What does that mean? It means I'm not going to do what I think is right anymore. Who cares what, how I define marriage? Who cares how I define sexuality? Who, who cares how I define right and wrong? No, no, no. I'm laying all that aside. I am now letting you define all these things for me. and letting you define what is right and what is wrong. And you value humility. And you value selflessness. And you value brokenness. Lord, that is so far from me. I want to learn how to now walk in your ways. Come, let us reason together. If you're simply willing and obedient, look what it says. You shall eat the good of the land. I will pour my spirit upon you. I will enable you to live the life that I'm calling you to. I will, be, I will equip you. I will cleanse you. I will wash you. Let me just ask you, who makes... The hawk know how to soar on the thermals. Well, that's what God created it to do. Who makes the lion come into the valley and roar with a roar that would put terror in any creature within earshot? Well, that's God. Who makes this little butterfly? I was watching a butterfly in my backyard yesterday, and it flies like so erratic. How does that thing get anywhere? <laughs> right? And then I thought, that butterfly, monarch butterfly, goes from Mexico across the United States, up through New York, past Maine, into Canada, to land on the same tree where it's Parents birthed it. <laughs> How in the world? And you say, Dave, I think you're losing it. What are you talking about? Come to me. If you are willing and obedient, I will equip you to get to Canada. Well, not Canada. Trudeau's in Canada. Uh. <laughs> 
equip you to get on the path of righteousness that leads you to King Jesus. A path that brings abundant life. And I'll enable you, I'll equip you. I want you to know the calling of God is the enabling of God. I remember as a brand new dad, you know, I mean, my wife's pregnant. I get saved. We were pagans. My wife is still not saved. She's pregnant, not saved. And I'm, I, I get saved. And I never lived a day with my dad. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to have a kid. And I don't know how to be a dad. Lord, I need you. Be the father to me that I never was, that I never had. And I remember I read the book of Ecclesiastes and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the wisdom that I never had. And God began to open my eyes and he showed me what it means to be a father and, and what, what am I, what? he enables us to walk with him. And it's been one of my greatest joys. I have four kids. They're all here in the church. They're all serving. They're all, uh, we get together every Sunday. I've got grandkids. I just, my cup overflows, right? Uh, this is what Jesus does for us. This is what he's calling us to. Uh, uh, but know this. All it takes is if you're willing. Willing, come to me and let me be the Lord of your life. You're going to eat the good of the land. Let's go to the rest of the verse. But if you refuse and if you rebel... You shall be devoured, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Wow. Your life is short. Do not miss the purpose. You are here for three score and ten for this purpose, to decide if you want to be in union, if you want to be married to your creator who loves you and gave everything to ransom you for himself. Even when you were a skanky harlot who had turned against him, he is pursuing you and saying, I'll buy you and I will pay the price for her redemption. That's what Jesus did for us. Uh, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I don't want you to leave here today without doing that. Come and talk with one of us and let us know that you've made a commitment. For the Bible says, with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with a heart, one believes unto repentance. And Jesus will save you. Uh, get right with the Lord today. I want to take us on further on our study. Verse 3. <clears throat> Hosea bought her for 15 shekels of silver. And look what he says to her. Uh, we're going to see here, by the way... Um, God is going to reveal uh, through Hosea and through his bride, uh, God is going to reveal what he's going to do in Israel in the last days. Uh, some amazing prophecies right here. So take a look at this. Uh, verse 3, and, he, and I said to her, Hosea said to his wife, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. Uh, no more prostitution and no more just sleeping around for pleasure. So too will I be towards you. What does that mean? So too will I be towards you. What is Hosea saying? Same for him. You're not going to have a man and you're not going to have me. Uh, no, no conjugal intimacy for a while. That's how I'm going to be towards you. 
And now look at this prophecy in verse 4. God's going to use that prophetically. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince, without sacrifice and without sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Uh, these things, what God is saying, hey, I'm not going to allow you to sleep around with these false gods anymore. Your asterisks, your raisin cakes, your Molech. By the way, you know what they would do on, with Molech? You see, all the worshiping of Ashtoreth, the goddess of sexuality, with the raisin cakes and all the sexual relations that went along with that, guess what that caused? Some babies. So guess what they did with those babies? They burned them on the arms of Molech. Molech was worshipped by a little uh, brass, I didn't say this in first service, so sorry, I'm telling you, uh, um, it's, it's dark. Uh, they would get this little brass statue, and it was hollow on the inside, and it had arms out like this. And they would take that brass statue and put it on top of a fire, so the fire was burning in it, and that little Molech would get red hot. And then they would take these unwanted babies that came from worshiping Ashtoreth with raisin cakes, and they would put those babies on the arms of Molech as an offering. And you say, that is incredibly evil. You think we're any different? One million babies a year in the United States. It was 1.6 million in the 90s. Uh, since Road v. Way was overturned, it's dropped down to slightly under a million. Uh, but that's still a lot of offering on Molech. Um, here's what God says. Uh, you're going to be no more harlotries. Uh, and you're going to be without king. You're going to be without pre prince, uh, without sacrifice. No, no more of this stuff. Uh, and we know that happened. We looked last week, we, we, we know in history, 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and they took the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. No more high places with asterisk poles, no more of all this stuff. They took them into the Assyrian captivity and they were without a homeland. Um, and look what it says, verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return. You might want to circle the words, shall return. Shall return where? Shall return back into their homeland, to Israel. And they will seek the Lord, Yahweh, their God. Everybody say, wahoo! They will seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Underline the word the latter days. The latter days refer to the days that you and I are living in right now. The days right before the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, God said a lot right here. Let's see if we can unpack it. Uh, here's what he says. He tells us three things. In the last days, Israel will be scattered without a king or without a homeland. And it happened. 
722 BC, as I mentioned, the Assyrian king, King uh, Sargon II, came in and took them captive. Uh, Hosea was the king, not the Hosea, the prophet, but the king Hosea was the king of the northern kingdom. He was the 19th king in the, in the northern kingdom. And Israel has never had a king from that day until now. This prophecy has happened. You will not have a king for many days. We're talking 2,700 years. They have not had a king. And they've been scattered in a different land. Uh, crazy. They still don't have a king today. They still were scattered all over. Do you remember what happened in Jesus' day? Uh, it was 66 AD. And the Roman-Jewish war broke out. It was a brutal war. Uh, it started, uh, there was a Roman governor named Gaius Flores who was heavily taxing the Jewish people and they were getting oppressed. Gaius Flores then went into the sacred temple into Solomon's temple rebuilt by Herod, one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. Uh, Gaius Flores goes into the temple and takes 17 talents of gold out of the temple as a tax for Rome. And the Jews went crazy. They revolted and they killed 6,000 Roman soldiers. The Jews did. And Nero had a big problem on his hands. So he enlists Titus Vespasian to go in and to squelch this revolt. Titus Vespasian goes into Israel and they murder 1.1 million Jews. And in AD 70... The temple gets burned to the ground. The Jews are getting, they besieged Israel. Israel was starving. The 1. Million, 1.1 million die. Uh, and the Jews get scattered throughout the entire earth. It's called the diaspora. And they've been scattered there ever since. Do you remember when Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday and he was weeping? Do you remember that? You say, why are you weeping? Well, listen to his words. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her, her wings, but you were not willing and that you did not recognize this, your day of visitation. Loose paraphrase, I wanted to take you as my lover and yet you were not willing to have a relationship with me. And Jesus said, see to you this day, your house will be left to you desolate. And you will be weeping and you will, your children will be, will be taken. Uh, that's why Jesus was weeping. He knew what was coming in only just a few years. That was 33 AD that he said that. And 66 AD, it all happened. And the Jews were, were dispersed all over the world. But notice what else this passage tells us. Look what he says. You're going to live without a king and without sacrifice for many days. And they did. But then look what he says. But I, then you shall return. I'm going to bring you back into the land. An amazing prophecy. 
God is saying, Israel, I'm going to restore you into your homeland. And this happened in our generation. Do you remember the day? May 14th, 1948. Oh my gosh, miracle of miracles. David Ben-Gurion announced on May 14th, 1948, the state of the nation Israel. And Harry Truman, President Harry Truman, on the same day declared the nation Israel a sovereign, independent nation. Crazy. Crazy. You say, what's so crazy about that? Well, think about history. What had just happened on May 14th, 1948? World War II had just happened. And over 6 million Jews had just been murdered. And these Jewish people who had been scattered all over the world through the, through the diaspora uh, from, from 70 AD on are now at their very weakest point in human history. Six million Jews just killed. And God says, now I will make you a nation. I'm going to bring you back into the land. Why now? To show the Jews that it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And in their weakest moment, he brings them back into their homeland. Do you know in, in 1948, 650,000 Jews on that year came from all over the earth, from the four corners of the world, and came back into their homeland. The land was desolate. The Ottoman Turks had put a tax on trees, a property tax on trees. You were taxed by how many trees you had on your property. So guess what all the, the, the Turks did? Guess what all the Muslims did? Cut, cut down all the trees, which turned Israel into a wilderness. And God brought his people back in the land, 650,000, 1948, and they started planting trees. And the wilderness began to blossom. It's happened. Now today, there are 7.2 million Jews in the land. They are coming from all parts of the earth back into their homeland. Amazing. There have been more Jews in the last 20 years that have come than in all the time since 1948 up until the last 20 years, which means God is still doing his work and regathering his people. And the desert is blossoming like a rose. All of these things are prophecies that are happening in our midst. It is just amazing to consider. The third thing that uh, we just read here, and look what he says, verse 3, afterward the children of Israel shall return to the land. And then it says something interesting. It says they shall seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord Yahweh and his goodness in the latter days. What does that mean? It means that they will seek Jesus as their final king. They haven't had a king for all this time. Since 20, 2,700 years ago, 700, they haven't had a, Israel has not had a king since then. And God says, I'm going to bring them back and they're going to seek Israel, their king. And you say, I don't get it. How do you get that? Well, look what it says here. Look at verse 3 closely. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return. Well, we've seen that. They've come back into the land now, 1948 till now. And then they shall seek the Lord their God and David their king. I want you to know, how is Israel going to seek David their king? David's been dead for 250 years when this was written. 
David lived at 1,000 B.C. This was written at 722 B.C. Uh, how are they going to seek David their king? Uh, well, David being long gone, the Jews understood Hosea 3.5 to be a reference for the coming Messiah. You say, how do you get that? Well, here's how. God had made a promise to King David that David would have a descendant that would rule on the throne of David forever. Forever. And that he would rule all the nations with a mighty and powerful hand forever. Do you know the disciples, when Jesus was on earth uh, during his earthly ministry, they kept asking him, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? Are you going to rule over the nations now? Why did they have this idea? Because they understood the Davidic covenant. God had made a promise to David that the Messiah was going to rule and reign from David's throne over all the nations forever. And that's what the disciples were looking for. Uh, let me show you the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, let me hear you read this. The Lord tells you, speaking to David, he will make you a house. Let's pause there. David had a desire on his heart to build a temple for God. And God said, David, uh, thanks for the, the idea, but no, uh, you're not going to build me a house, uh, but I'm going to build you a house. Uh, uh, so let's read verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest when your fathers, let's pause there. What does that mean? Long after you've, you've died, right? I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David was only a prefigure of the greater David, King Jesus. And so when they say here, you, you will come back into the land and you will seek the Lord and David their king. David's been dead for 250 years. They knew he was speaking of the Messiah who was going to come. And he's saying, I'm going to bring you back into the land, you little harlot wife. I'm going to bring you back into your homeland. And then your heart is going to be turned towards me and you're going to seek uh, the king that I establish on the throne. Uh, wild, wild. Um, Jesus was born in the lineage of King David. If you go back and you read in the uh, Matthew and in, in Luke, you'll see Jesus is in the lineage of King David, humanly speaking. Uh, moreover, uh, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he told the disciples uh, that he was the greater David. Um, take a look at this verse for me, uh, Matthew twenty-two forty-one. 41. Uh, when the Pharisees, read it with me. When the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Let's pause there. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and here's what he says. What do you think about the Messiah? The word Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. What do you think about him? They didn't think Jesus was the Messiah, right? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, 
He'll, he'll be the son of David when he comes. And Jesus said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying in Psalm 110, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David wrote Psalm 110 after the Davidic covenant was already promised to him. And in Psalm 110, he said these words, Yahweh said to my Lord, the one who's promised that will sit on my throne. He told him, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus said, if David calls that coming Messiah, Lord, how is he then his son? And none of those religious leaders could answer him because he's not just the son of David. He's what? He's God. He is both God and man. And they had missed that part of the equation. Uh, Jesus would uh, uh, say a lot about his fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. I could take you into a lot of verses. He is the greater King David. I will take you to one. It's at the book, end of the book of the, the end of the Bible in Revelation, uh, Revelation 22. Jesus speaking, he says, "Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to you, to give to everyone uh, according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega." the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Let's pause there. What is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last? What is that? That is God. The eternal creator God. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. He also says, I am also the root and the offspring of David. I am both. I am fully God and I am a descendant of David. I am the God who became a man, and I am the king of all the earth, uh, the bright and morning star. So Jesus revealed to the religious leaders repeatedly that he was the greater David, and uh, that God promised to, to David uh, and to Israel in the Davidic covenant. And the cool thing is, is in the last days, Israel will seek Jesus as their final king. Uh, the Bible tells us that once Israel is back into the land, they will then seek the Messiah, the greater David, as their final king. And then finally, this harlot bride will be fully restored to God, as Hosea 3.5 says, right? Uh, they'll seek the Lord their God and David their king, that's Jesus, and then the fear of the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Uh, now, we have a problem, don't we? Because Israel is back in the land, but they are not seeking Jesus as their king. Well, remember that God said this restoration was going to come in two parts. First, he's going to bring them back into the land. And then secondly, Israel will seek Jesus as their king. I wish we had time to read it together. You say, how in the world is that going to happen? Uh, I wish we could read Ezekiel 37. Uh, for there, God reveals to us how it's going to happen. Uh, let me just paraphrase it to you, and then we'll take communion together. In Ezekiel 37, God takes Ezekiel, and he brings him supernaturally out into a barren wilderness. 
And in this barren wilderness, there are all kinds of bones scattered everywhere. And the Bible tells us, Ezekiel 37 tells us, these bones were bleached by the sun, dry and old. And you know how old bones, you know, they get split and bleached white. These bones look like that. They're split and bleached white, and they're scattered. Just a bone here, a bone there. They're scattered everywhere. And God says, Ezekiel, I want you to preach to the bones. And no doubt Ezekiel rubs his head like, what'd you say? I thought you said preach to the bones. Yeah, I want you to preach to the bones. And so Ezekiel obeys. And he starts proclaiming God's word to the bones. And guess what happens? These bones start moving. These bones that are scattered all over the land. A picture of Israel being scattered all over the world. And they all come back together. Clink, 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 clink. And they start forming a skeleton in front of Ezekiel. No doubt he's like freaking out. Like, you know. And they become a skeleton. That's where we get the song, right? Dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Right? Uh, That's where it's from. And these bones gather back together. And they become a human skeleton. But there's no skin on them. There's no muscle on them. There's no sinews. And, and Ezekiel is like, Lord, uh, he, God says, preach again to the bones. Preach again to the bones. So Ezekiel preaches again. And as he preaches the second time, the skeleton starts taking on sinews and tendons and muscles. And it gets clothed with skin. And breath comes into the into the being and it becomes alive and he says this these bones are the house of Israel and what has happened is God has gathered these bones from all parts of the earth and they've gathered back together started in May 19 May 14th 1948 through today that is the we were watching these bones being gathered together we're waiting For the second part of this resurrection to happen where God puts his spirit back on them and they see Jesus as their king. The Bible says that's going to happen and it says that they will mourn for Jesus. They will look at Jesus. Zechariah 12 says, then they will look at me and they will say, where did you receive these wounds in your hands? And he will say, I receive them in the house of my friends. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will realize that he is the Messiah. And they will make, the, make him their king. And he will rule and reign. He will come back on earth. He will judge the nations and rule from Israel. One, one kingdom. One king governing the whole world. The millennial kingdom for a thousand years. I long for the day. And church, may I tell you, I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up and lead us in communion. May I tell you, it is at hand. It is even at the doors. God will breathe his spirit back into Israel. Right now, they're gathered. The bones are there. He will breathe his spirit back into Israel at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. And before that tribulation period comes, he will take the church out and pour his spirit into Israel 
and the harlot bride will be restored. What an amazing God. Keep your eyes focused. Do not get distracted by the cares of the world or by the filth of the world. Your Redeemer lives and he's calling you to walk with him. And to make all that possible, Jesus went to the cross to take the punishment of our harlotries on his own back so that we could be cleansed in a righteous relationship with him. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.